You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? We are so glad that you're here with us. 21 years. Wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy. I, I don't know what you were doing 21 years ago, but I remember what I was doing 21 years ago. I was in a panic. Uh, we were having our first service in this little hotel in, in Miami Lakes, and um, the, the room that we were meeting in is about the size of my office upstairs, just to give you an idea. And we, uh, they had this little like business you know, area where they had like a printer and a desk. So I was sitting at the desk and it was pouring rain in a way that it can only rain in Miami. And so, and I was thinking like, no one is going to be here. And so I was just praying and looking over my notes. And then I walked over, it was almost 10. That was when our service was. And um, because I was also the worship leader. um, And that that was always an interesting thing. That's why, if you've ever noticed, we always greet in the middle. Um, the reason why we greet in the middle is because I was the worship leader, and after I was done leading worship, because I'd stand over here, I'd lead worship, and then I'd say, all right, hey, let's say hi to somebody, and that would give me an opportunity to take the guitar off, and then stand over here and be like, hey, thank you for that time of worship, and then I'd start talking. It was very, very bizarre, and that's, people thought I was probably insane, but anyway, uh, but the year 2000, things have, so many things are different. In the year 2000, there was no Homeland Security so, so if you were picking someone up from the airport, you could walk right up to the gate and, and pick them up. If you were dropping someone off, you could, just, you could walk right up. I mean, it was, it was a different time. In, in the year 2000, we didn't even know McDonald's was bad for us. Well, we, we knew a little bit. We, we kind of knew a little bit, but we weren't sure because it would be another four years before the Super Size Me documentary really confirmed for us what it was. And uh, in, back in 2000, um, everyone I knew, we were in a time of transition, in 2000. Uh, but everyone I knew, including me, had a beeper and a cell phone. Because in, in the cell phone world, you only had like, let's just say two hours of talk time a month. That's why every time someone called you, you were angry. Like, what? Uh-huh. Okay, mom, I'll be right there. And they hang up. It's like, it was fast, fast. Because there's no like, uh-huh. And so what are you doing? No, there's none of that. So that's why there was like most people you would just give your beeper number to, and then it was only like the inner sanctum that got your cell phone number. And and then people would have all these different, you know, there was all these codes on, on, you know, like obviously it was 911, but if it was like, it's important, but not super important, it was 811. 711 wasn't a thing, just FYI. So anyway, there was all kinds of things. And, if, you know, so there was, um, and, and by the way, the, because of the beeper thing, it changed fashion. Everyone wore a belt back then, even with their shorts. They wore a belt because they needed somewhere to clip the beeper. And so, and everybody had that. It was like, you, look, you watch movies now, like who were these nerds that were, and it's like it was everyone on the planet was clipping their phone. And then they had like these little cases that they put stuff. Anyway, um, church was different. In church, the most power, back in 2000, the most powerful person in the church was not the pastor, right? <laughs> nowhere, nowhere near it. The most powerful person in the church was the person who ran the overhead projector in the church services. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but in, before like screens and 
most people didn't have laptops back then, but you had um, people would have these like overhead projector like you had in, in class. And so they would project the lyrics. And so they would print everything out on this clear paper. And then there was then the person who ran the overhead projector, they would have this other blank sheet of paper and they would just give you one line of lyrics. Like that's all you could handle. They're like, give us the next one. No! Like one line. And they were just like, and I don't know, there was this, I'm telling you, I, don't, I can't even describe it. There was like a sense of anticipation of when they were just like, they just gave you that extra line. And then like they would take the, that off and th- there was like this very intricate file system. Like you wouldn't be like, hey, we're just going to mix it up. Like, oh, you did not mix it up. Like there was a very, it was a very interesting thing. And, um, and by the way, and if you didn't like it, there was nobody to complain to, right? Like, I mean, you would have to like write a letter Dearest pastor, this past fortnight, I arrived at your church. Like, there's no, you can't, I'm just like literally writing letters. And then, or you could unplug your landline, plug it into your big clunky computer, put in your AOL disk to dial up to America Online. Then you'd wait for the little paperclip guy to show up because you still hadn't mastered how to send an email. And then you would send that, that email. And who knows if it would even be read. I'm telling you, things were, things were so different back then. Um, the 2000 election was very contentious. We weren't even sure who won. Well, I guess maybe things haven't changed. But um, <laughs> So uh, it's very different. So, um, but, here, but let me tell you something that hasn't changed is that 21 years ago, we had our very first service, and we had just made a decision when we were starting this church, my wife and I, that we weren't going to be a church that, um, that taught from the Bible or out of the Bible. We were going to be a church that taught the Bible. Like, we're just going to read every verse, and we're going to talk about what it, what it means. And um, so that very first Sunday, we started book number one. I started teaching through the book of Acts. Um, in, in the New Testament, that, that was book number one. And uh, 21 years later, today, we're starting book number 49, uh, the book of First Timothy. So pretty exciting. And so um, now let me ask this. I, I love asking this, this question, but how many of you um, came to Calvary at the hotel? Probably not many. My wife raised her hand. That's good. So... <clears throat> Um, how many of you came at the movie theater? That was the first time you came to Calvary. A couple people. Very good. Love you guys. Um, how many of you, like Barbara Goldman in Miami Lakes? How many of you? Okay, awesome. Several of you. Um, how many of you, Everglades High School? That was the first time. Oh, that's awesome. And how many of you, um, this building was the first time that you came to Calvary? Okay, that's great. By the way, FYI, we did not have 100% participation. There are some of you that aren't sure where you are. And so... We're just hoping you sober up by the end of the service and uh, you just kind of dial it in. And so, so, we're <laughs> so where do we start? We start, um, so let's kick it off by talking about fighting. That's a good place to start. Um, anytime there's a fight, and I don't know if you've ever been in a fight. I, I've been in a few. And it, and, and it was, you know, I haven't, I've had this conversation with my kids recently. They're asking me about fights. And I, and I said that I had been in a few. And then my daughter, Mia, she was mortified. She's like, you are a pastor. I can't believe. And I'm like, I got into this fight in the ninth grade. This wasn't like last month. Anyway, I was in high school. And uh, so, and I wasn't a Christian. So anyway, um, but there's just, anytime there is a fight, there is just something innate in us 
that we don't just want to see the fight, we want to know what happened. And it doesn't matter where the fight happens. You watch a fight, someone shows you a video of a fight that breaks out online. The first question is like, what happened? Like, why are they fighting? I saw this happen at Publix probably about a year ago. This is back when uh, masks were mandatory. People were not as loving about that as they are now. Like, everyone's a delight now about it. But, uh, but back then, so now here's what happened. I, I, I go down. So when you went to Publix like a year ago, now let me just explain how the six feet thing should have worked. The six feet thing works. It was from person to person. But there was individuals who felt like it was, no, it's six feet from that person to the edge of my cart. That's not it. It's from person to person. And so now you're trying to explain this. So it's like, now I'm in like the deli. And they're like, can we help you? Like, no, I'm in line. Because, and I've been here for an hour. And because this thing is, because people don't understand that it's like per person. Anyway, so, but if you want to, so these two guys, I'm finally getting to the front of the line. And these two guys, I mean, are like ready to come to blows. And um, so, and now, mind you, and I say it, this lady, of course, I say it from six feet away because, you know, you don't want to start something. And I'm like, what happened? And the lady says, well, here's what happened. That one guy, he had to sneeze and he took his mask off to sneeze. <laughs> Holy smokes. You would have thought the guy brought like a weapon of mass destruction into Publix and he's like trying to kill people. Uh, but because, you know, I mean, it was basically the same thing, right? It's a sneeze, which totally defeats the purpose, of course, of wearing the mask. But once again, um, I'm, not, I'm not gauging intelligence. I'm just telling you what happened. And so anyway, but you know, the thing is, and this is just, this is just, just what happens, right? When my kids argue, and they do argue, like, and, and we're trying to fix it, the first thing that we do is like, well, what happened? We're trying to get to the bottom of it. Guys, you know how this works if you and your spouse have ever been in a fight. Now, we're Christians, so I don't like to call it a fight. If you're a Christian, I like to call it intense fellowship. And so feel free to use that. Do like, do you and your wife fight? No. We've had some intense fellowship now and again over the last 24 years. And so, um, but once again, and, but, and this usually happens with guys, but can I ask this? Now, guys, have you ever had intense fellowship with your spouse? And so you guys were having an argument and what you thought the argument was about was not what she thought the argument was about. Because you thought the argument was about the thing, and she saw the thing as mere symbolism to what the real issue is. So it's like, you don't take out the garbage. And you're like, okay, I'll take out the garbage. And then it's, she's still mad. And, and you're like, I don't understand, I took out the garbage. And she's like, you don't even understand that the garbage, this is the representation of our relationship and how you put everything before the garbage. This is the problem. And they're like, do I need to buy a bigger garbage can? And now, now there's like three fights going on. There's the garbage issue. There's the, the, the garbage is a symbolic it, 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 it is the symbolism of our relationship. And then there's the third one that you don't get it. There's three fights going on. And, and you still, and, and, you're, and you're like, do I buy different trash bags? When, what day does the garbage go out? You know, and, and it's like, and, and there's, there's a whole problem. That's why there's a secondary and, and third. There's all these like sub layers. 
And, and now if you're single in this room, I know what you're thinking. You're like, being married sounds complicated. It is. And they're like, well, so why do you get married? Because eventually you die. So it's, thankfully it's only for life. And so now, I'm not saying that for my marriage. I'm saying that for other people. Those people that attended 10 o'clock, they are messed up. Those people need Jesus. And so um, you guys seem like a delight. You really do. You seem delightful. And uh, so maybe it's because you got like an extra two hours of sleep. Um, so, <laughs> but here's the thing. But you, the, the way it works is that you never find reconciliation until you both know why you're fighting and you have common ground as to how to work it out. The book of 1 Timothy is about fighting the good fight. Not fighting any fight. It's about fighting the fight that matters. And here's the challenge that we all face, right? Especially those of us that are Christians. We live in a culture that's always changing. We live in a culture that's always changing and that's redefining truth and spinning truth and, you know, kind of twisting truth at times. And, and, and what most of us, once again, those of us that, that, that have come to know Jesus, we recognize something that truth, real truth doesn't change. That's why I always love when people tell me, like, I don't believe in absolute truth. And I love to respond to them and say, do you believe that statement? Absolutely. And they're like, what? And I'm like, all right, think on that and then come back. And um, <clears throat> now there's advancement, there's discovery, and that's always a good thing. But listen, if you decide that truth is not a constant thing, you will spend your whole life drifting, wandering, and wondering because you've got nothing stable to build your life on. Now, but we find ourselves in a bit of a predicament as Christians, and that is, do I just kind of agree with the culture that's always changing, or do we stand up and fight? The problem is we don't fight like other people fight. We don't sling mud. We don't get personal. We don't make anyone who disagrees with us our enemy. We don't do that because that's not the Jesus way. What we do as Christians is we love people that we disagree with. We stand for what's true and we show them what's right by how we live and how we answer. Because the way we answer, it's not just about being right. Sometimes it's the way that we answer what it is that we believe that sometimes can speak more um, than just the, the, the rightness that, that we have. You see, because I don't know if you've noticed this, but you can't argue someone into the kingdom of God. Isn't that interesting? And yet so many times what people want to do is argue. I don't know anyone's story, right? They give this great testimony. You know, I got into this huge argument with my friend. And then after two hours of us yelling and screaming, I gave my life to Jesus. Like, nobody's story is like that. Nobody's story starts with, you know, my friend posted this meme on Facebook, and then I gave my life to Jesus. Like, that's not the way that works, right? But what happens is, is that we, we've got to do what we can to have good answers to people's questions and live with so much joy that it attracts people to the life that we're living. And listen, that is what changes people. There's this phrase I've used a million times over the years where someone will come up to me and tell me that they disagree with the Bible or Christianity or whatever, and, and, uh, and, and I'll just say to them, I'll say, well, you know, this is what I believe. Okay, how's that working out for you? And I, I'm, I am so surprised by how enraged people are by my question about how it's working out for them because I'm gonna give you a little secret. It ain't working out for them. That's why they're mad. 
And, but, and, and so the problem is when people are so upset because the way they're living isn't working out for them, they're upset when there's people that are happy. They have joy. And, 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 I'm, and, I'm, and I'm telling you, and so that's why we're, we're starting this series that we're calling Old School because we're going to talk about how to be the church, how to be the people of God in a world that is hostile towards Christians. And because everything that you're experiencing, that I'm experiencing, that we're experiencing in our culture is what our friend Timothy was experiencing in his situation as he was pastoring this church in the city of Ephesus. Now, uh, Timothy was a younger guy. He was a, uh, probably in his early 30s, as we'll see in chapter 4. Paul calls him uh, a, a young man. So he was a guy in his early 30s, living in Ephesus. Now, let me just give you a little bit of color in the background so that you really understand what's happening. A couple things to know about Ephesus, the city and the church. Ephesus, the city, was a huge city. It was second only to the city of Rome as far as size. And um, it was the capital city of that region in the Roman Empire. It was a city of diverse culture, of many faiths, like most of the Roman Empire, Ephesus was the home of the temple of Diana. Now, Diana, the temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And uh, we'll spend a good amount of time talking about Diana and the temple and all that when we get to chapter 2. There's so much confusion in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. And a lot of it has to do with we don't understand the background in what was happening in the worship of Diana that was influencing the entire city. We'll get there. So... But the church at Ephesus was planted by the Apostle Paul uh, around 52 AD after he had left Corinth, and we just got done studying 1 Corinthians. So he left Corinth, planted there, came to Ephesus, and planted the church and left very quickly. He was only there for a short time. Then he came back, and he spent about three and a half years in Ephesus. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 19 and 20, you'll read about his time in Ephesus. And if you're interested, you can read Acts chapter 20 when Paul leaves Ephesus and he's going to um, go to Jerusalem and um, the, all the leaders of the church of Ephesus, they follow him to a, this little town called Miletus, which is a, uh, where he's going to catch a boat to go to Jerusalem. And uh, it's, it's, it's such a sad moment because you see these leaders and how much they love Paul, how much Paul loves them, and they hug him and they cry because they, they come to this realization that they're never going to see him again in this life. And, uh, and, and they were right. Paul goes to Jerusalem and he's shortly after arrested and then his life takes a whole different turn. But um, after Paul leaves Ephesus, Paul sends his son in the faith, whose name is Timothy, to pastor the church at Ephesus. Now, if you're not aware Once again, there's only a couple of letters. Most of the letters that Paul wrote were written to churches. There's a couple of letters that Paul wrote that were written to individuals. Uh, The letter to Philemon, which we studied a few years ago, um, was written to a gentleman named Philemon. And then there's 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. Now, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. The reason they're called that is because they were written to pastors. Timothy, pastoring in Ephesus. Titus, pastoring in uh, the, uh, an island called Crete there um, in the Mediterranean Sea. And by the way, we studied the, I think it was the beginning of 2019, we, we, um, we, took the, we taught through the, the letter of, uh, of Titus. But Paul writes this letter about around 56 AD that he writes this letter to Timothy. Timothy's been pastoring for a little while and it's an encouragement to him to keep fighting for what matters. And, not, and, and once again, not only for him to keep fighting for what matters, but it's a challenge to this church to have clarity as to what matters 
in troubling times. So we're going to start in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what we read. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to look at. The first is this, is that I need to know what to fight for. And this is one of the things that Paul's going to deal with. And once again, the way that letters worked in the ancient world, it's not like they are now where you send someone an email and you're like, hey, so-and-so. And it's like starts with the, pers- the recipient's name. That's not how things worked in the ancient world. In the ancient world, things showed up on scrolls. And so you unscrolled to see who it was from to see if the rest of it was worth reading. So if, you know, let's say you got a, a letter and it was like, so-and-so, you don't know who this is. And like, are you going to keep reading? It's like right at the beginning, they'd state their name saying, hey, I'm writing to you to talk about your car's extended warranty. And it's like, I don't, I don't think this person really knows me. And, um, but I love the opening of this letter where Paul doesn't just state who he is and who Timothy is, but he offers this, this wonderful greeting where he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in every letter that Paul writes, he, uh, with the exception of 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles where he adds something else. Every epistle that Paul writes, he says this, grace and peace. Grace, because it was the Greek greeting, charis, you would offer grace when you saw someone, or the Hebrew greeting was shalom. Um, and that's how, and if you come with us to Israel, we'll be saying shalom every morning to everybody that we meet. And, um, but only in the pastoral epistles does he say not just grace and peace, but grace, mercy, and peace. And I love that. I think it's because these pastors, Paul feels like, hey, they need a little extra mercy in their, in their lives. And, and I'm telling you, I can tell you this as someone who's now pastored for a little over two decades, <coughs> is the things that people say to pastors are, are really quite something. And um, I'm not a big fan of the pandemic, but there are some good things that have happened in the, in the pandemic. One of them is there's this guy that used to attend here. And every Sunday, he would wait for me right here when I came down the stairs, and he would tell me everything that I said wrong in, in, in this. And, and, um, and, you know, and he hasn't come back. I don't know what happened. I don't wish ill on him. But whatever it is, I just thank God that I will see his face no more. Um, because, you know, the first time you say it, you're like, okay, all right, yeah, something to think about. And then the second time he says a thing and you're like, okay. And then the third time he's waiting for you, you're thinking things you shouldn't think in church. And, um, and, and, and it was every single week. And I remember one time I asked him and I'm like, dude, can I ask you a question? Why do you come to church here? And, uh, and he's like, my wife absolutely loves your teaching. And, um, and I'm like, I like your wife so much. And uh, you, I'm not so sure about. And um, anyway, so once again, not a fan of the pandemic, but even a broken clock is right twice a day. Anyway, so, but I'll tell you this, and I, uh, this is um, the first words that were ever spoken to me 
on this property on the day of our grand opening. Now, the day of our, I woke up pretty excited today um, because we were celebrating, but I remember the day of our grand opening. Um, I mean, like, I couldn't sleep the night. I had like that first day of school, you know, thing where you can't. So I finally, the day of our grand opening. Now, mind you, we had spent 14 years and eight months setting it up, tearing it down, setting it up, tearing it down. And, um, but when we had our grand opening, just leading up to our grand opening, like a couple days before, uh, Senator Marco Rubio sent me a letter congratulating me and the church on our grand opening. And that, that letter is framed up in the cafe if you want to read it. Um, the Florida Senate, um, they issued a proclamation congratulating us, and they, that's framed upstairs too. And, um, and then the city of Miramar issued a mayoral plot proclamation declaring May 31st as Calvary Fellowship Day. That was something. And we've got that framed upstairs too. So if you go out on May 31st, anywhere in Miramar, and tell them you attend here and just say you should give me a discount because it's Calvary Fellowship Day. I've been doing it for the last six years. FYI, I've struck out every time, but one of these times, Chick-fil-A is going to give me a free fry. So I, I, I'm believing that. But anyway, so I'm feeling so good leading up to this, this grand opening. So I, I park and uh, I'm walking in and I feel so good and I see some people walking in and uh, there's this woman that's waiting for me outside. And um, she walks up to me. I'm like, hey, good morning. How you doing? Great day. And she's like, I can't believe you did this. Like, that's just one way to start a conversation. And I'm like, okay, what did I do? And she says, this building is facing in the wrong direction. I am so disappointed in you. And I, what, I didn't, there were architects, city officials, who told, like, we would like to plant a building here? Okay, it's got to face this way. And, and, I'm, and I'm trying to, and I'm like, what would you, these are the first words that were ever spoken to me, was how disappointed someone was in, it was in me because of the direction that this building was facing. And I'm like, ma'am, what would you like me to do? Would you like to go in the back and we can push? <laughs> and she's like, I'm just so disappointed. And I'm like, and, and, and I'm like, well, God bless you, daughter of Satan. And um, so I whispered the last part, but I meant it. So, so that's why I, just, I, I, I get comfort from that. It's like not just, not just grace and peace, but, but some mercy thrown in as well. But Paul, he encourages Timothy with some mercy and then challenges Timothy to stay where he is because there's important work to be done in Ephesus. And I love what he says in verse 3. He says, I urged you when I went to Macedonia to remain. And once again, the, the prosmeno is, is the word in Greek, that word remain, which means to hang on, to hang in, and to persevere. And can I tell you that we, we all have this, um, we get excited about the new. And, and I get it, right? I, I, apparently, every person I'm friends with watched the Apple thing where they're explaining, like, and I'm getting texts from all my friends, did you hear what they got? They got this new, right? Everybody's excited about the new, and the new immediately creates dissatisfaction with what you currently have, and that's just kind of how it's built, what it's built to do. What's different? Would they move the camera? So now instead of the camera being like this, 
blow your mind. Now it's like this. It's like, can you believe it? And I'm like, okay, um, I think I'm going to stick with what I've got. But anyway, but we just get excited about the new. We get excited about the new adventure, the new home, the new opportunity. But listen, can I just tell you something that many times the thing that we're looking for is found in remaining? And listen, we can do this. We can do this in relationships with marriage. If I, if I was married to someone else and was somewhere else doing something else, we do it with our career. If I was, you know, do, doing something different with someone different. And, and, and listen, we do this with church too. And, and the reality is, can I, can I just encourage you in the way that Paul encouraged Timothy? He said, bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. Stay and make a difference. Let me tell you something, and I don't talk about this enough, but... Um, we are celebrating 21 years today, but can, can I tell you that I almost gave up about five years in, um, and it was such a difficult season. Nothing was going right. I was emotionally wiped out, and um, my wife and I, we didn't have kids yet, but we went out to dinner, and I told her, and, and I, I was like on the verge of tears, and, and I'm like, I just don't believe I can do it anymore, and um, I'll never forget this moment as long as I live. And she held my hand and she said, well, if that's the case, how about for right now, I'll just believe for the both of us. And um, it was amazing. And um, yeah. If you aren't aware, my wife is the unsung hero of this church. She has served in so many capacities, has never sought um, any recognition. That's why half the people in this church don't even know who she is. She's just, uh, I'm telling you, she is the most heroic person that I know, uh, the person that I most admire in the world. Um, I, I make that joke about being married, but someone asked me, they said, I know you don't believe in reincarnation. I said, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. And they said, but if you could come back, who would you want to come back as? I said, if I died and had to come back as someone else, I would come back as my wife's second husband. Um, <laughs> because, because one lifetime isn't enough. So um, thank you. you. Feel free to use that later. So, but can I just tell you something? Listen, that conversation, um, that saved my life. And every story that's worth telling is a story of people who remained. People who didn't give up. People who did hard things and watched God work because they didn't bail. And sometimes we make this mistake that thinking resistance is that God isn't in it if there's resistance. Listen, maybe the resistance is why God called you. And that once you fix what's broken, you get to then enjoy the blessing of God. And once again, that's why Paul calls it the good fight. And we'll see that at the end of chapter one, that it's a fight that's worth fighting. You talk to a marriage where two people just refused to quit. And now God is blessing their marriage. Listen, it's this beautiful story of God's redemption. It's a beautiful story of God's grace, and now it's a relationship that's full of wisdom. You talk to a parent that has a wayward child, but they refuse to quit on their child. When that child comes around, it is this beautiful story of God's redemption. And, and the power of remaining now becomes an encouragement to others who are thinking about giving up. But when they see that you remained and that what God has done in your life because you remained now, they remain and they see what God can do with them. That's why Paul goes on in verse five and he really hammers this point home. He says, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, 
desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you, and that is I need to know how to fight well. I need to know how to fight well. Paul is charging Timothy to protect God's people in the church by not allowing random people to start teaching weird doctrine. When he says, teach no other doctrine, he's saying, no, you don't allow people to teach things that are contrary to what Paul, the apostles, and Jesus was teaching. And he, verse 4 tells us how they did that. In verse 4, it says they were giving heed to fables. Fables is the Greek word muthos, where we get our English word mythology. In that culture, Roman and Greek mythology was pervasive. And in a city like Ephesus, where the temple of the goddess Diana was there, I mean, and she, by the way, if you're not aware, um, when Rome came into power, they, had, they took over what was the Greek empire. And when they took over the Greek empire, they adopted all of the gods of the Greek culture. And so that's why the Greek and Roman gods are the same. They just have different names. So Diana is the Latin name of the Greek goddess Artemis, who is the goddess of witchcraft and um, fertility and and all of that. And so when we get to chapter 2, we're going to see how that cult of Diana that was so pervasive in, in the city of Ephesus was causing all kinds of problems in the church that Paul is going to address. But then he says not just fables, but he says endless genealogies, a reference to Jewish teachings that were not rooted in Jesus being the Messiah. In fact, not that long ago, um, Jewish writings were discovered that dig into these really complex genealogies, connecting them to these spiritual mysteries and all of it nonsense. And once again, the problem with these teachings is that all they did was cause disputes and problems. But what Paul does is he says this in verse 5, the purpose of the commandment, the purpose of our teaching is threefold. It's really just singular. He says the purpose of the commandment is love. But then he actually goes and defines that a little bit further, and he says it's love from a pure heart, love from a good conscience, and love from a sincere faith. What does he mean by that, love from a pure heart? If you're a note taker, we say, we're saying that it's love without ulterior motive. We've all experienced this. Someone does something nice for us. Someone gives us a compliment. And then comes the ask, which is the real reason they did the thing that they did in the first place. And the problem with ulterior motive is that the thing that they did gets erased by the heart not being right with the improper motive. That's why Paul would say to the Philippians, he would say, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. If you're married, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Couples have conflict over three issues. They have conflict over money, communication, and sex. Those are the three issues that um, couples fight over. If you're a guy, you heard something, something, sex. That's, that's, that's what you heard. And um, now, and let me tell you how this, how this works, right? Hubby gets home from work. And he's looking for, for some romance. And once again, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But he decides that he's going to clean the house. He's going to bathe the kids. He's going to do the dishes after dinner. And then if the evening doesn't go as he planned, there's a problem. The wife is detecting that there's some kind of glitch in the matrix. And she's like, what's the problem? 
And he's like, I did the dishes, I bathed the kids, I cleaned the house, and nothing's going to happen. And then she starts to put the pieces together. So the only reason that you cleaned your house, right? The only reason you spent time with your children is because you had an ulterior motive. And he's like, of course, that's why I did it. It looks like one of the good housekeeping seal of approval. And uh, no, that's not what you say. Only a madman says that. And he says, no, baby, baby, baby. I live to help you and the kids. It is my joy to clean and vacuum. And uh, listen, that story doesn't end well. That's not autobiographic, by the way. Um, Some loser, I know. Pray for him. Uh, (laughs) But here's the problem, is that you can do the right thing, but if you do the right thing for the wrong reasons, the wrong motive revealed that our heart isn't right. And that's why he says, look, it's love that's from a pure heart. That's why he says also, it's love that's from a good conscience. Now, this one is a little more challenging, and so that's why in our notes we put uh, that it's love with the right reasons. Now, the challenge that we have is this, is that sometimes, like, well, what do you mean that's love with a pure heart? So let's, let's kind of back into it, because sometimes we don't see it, but we, we know what the opposite looks like. We know the opposite of not from a good conscience, but what is uh, something that's done, what's love from a guilty conscience look like? Uh, it's similar to the first one. In the first one, when you have the ulterior motive, you're doing something good to get something out of the other person. When, you have, when it's love out of a guilty conscience, you're doing something good so that you can feel better about yourself. The problem is, when you live with this perpetual guilty conscience, you know that it is a terrible way to live. And so you feel bad about working too much. And you know what happens when, you, when you're a parent and you feel bad about working too much? Um, you, you, you buy your kids overpriced gifts. You go on vacations that you can't really afford to feel kind of ease your conscience because you feel so guilty about working too much. You know what the problem is with buying your kids overpriced gifts and going on vacations you can't afford? When you get back, you've got to actually overwork to pay for the thing that you couldn't. And it's like now you've kind of created this, this vicious cycle. You know what is a way better way to live? Is to get some, ba- this is way harder, is to get, get some balance in your life. And then what you do for your kids now comes out of the overflow of joy that's in your life. That's why, listen, the purpose of the command that Paul is giving is because he wants us to live better. And then he says it's love that comes from a sincere faith. What does he mean by that? Um, In your notes, we'd say it's love without fake emotion. The word sincere is an interesting word because in English, it means something totally different. Uh, Sincere means someone who's very passionate and caring. They really believe what it is that they believe. But in the ancient world, sincere meant three words. This little phrase, that's what sincere meant. It meant this, son will judge. That's what sincere meant. Now, let me explain what that means. In the ancient world, people made statues out of marble and stone. And so whatever you decided to use, marble, stone, whatever, Whatever you were going to build it out of, the entire statue was made out of that material. You'd hire a sculptor or an artist, and they would sculpt whatever it is that you wanted. You'd pay them. The artist would begin shaping the stone into the image that you wanted. But let's say the sculptor got down to the end. He's putting the finishing touches on this warrior that you wanted for your front yard, and he's just... He's like, you know, I need to kind of chisel a little bit around the nose area. And so he's just, and his hand slips, and he just, boom, wipes out the guy's nose completely, right? And so you're like, oh, man, what is he going to do? 
Does he start over? Does he buy another piece of giant stone, which is incredibly expensive? No, what they would do is they would take little pieces that were, had been cut off, that had been chipped away. They would grind it down. And then they would take the dust, the little pieces, and then they would take some wax. They would get it to be the same color. And then they would, they would kind of roll it, shape it, and then they would just pop the nose on that was made of wax. And uh, the wax would begin to harden. They'd kind of brush it a little bit and make sure that it, it worked. And then the owner would pick up his statue. He would put it in his front yard. He'd be so excited. And then the sun would come out the next day. And that warrior statue would get the worst runny nose you've ever seen as the wax would then begin to melt because the sun would judge that what was there wasn't genuine or sincere or authentic. In fact, when you were going to buy something, maybe something was already done, you would say, Can, is this, in the Greek language, you'd say this, is the statue that I'm buying, is it without hypocrisy? Which meant this, is it, this is what the literal word means, is it without wax? And that's what, the, that's what Paul is saying, is that we want a faith that is sincere. It's a faith that's without wax. And once again, what he's saying to us is, are we living the life that we say is the best possible way to live? That following Jesus is the best possible way to live. And if it is, if we say that it's the best possible way to live, then we should do the things that Jesus told us to do. That's what Paul is encouraging us, and it's the number one thing that attracts people who are far from God to Jesus. And, and listen, sometimes people think like, oh, they, people want Christians to be perfect. No. They, they, they just want people who are Christians to try. Like, are you, are you really living that way? Is the way that we talk and the way that we live, does it match? Is there no wax, no cover-ups? And see, they see the change in your life, and then you know what happens? They desire it for themselves. Well, lastly, um, verse 8, and then we'll, we'll close it here. He says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any, th any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Last thing I want to tell you, and then, then we're done, is that I need to know why this fight matters. You see, now let me explain something. Paul lists these kind of various sins. Why does he list these particular ones? Is it because he has some kind of ax to grind? No, it's because of what he says in verse 8. He says this, that we, the law is good if one uses it lawfully and that the law is not for a righteous person. Paul was warning against these people that wanted to be teachers of the law. Paul's saying the law is great, but if you understand the law correctly, you realize that all of us break it. None of us can actually meet the standard of the law, that it was actually written for those who don't obey it to show us that we can't keep it. Now, and, and we, we understand that. Let me explain it this way. Is, um, so we just got back this past uh, Sunday afternoon from a, a marriage retreat that we do every year at Calvary, and it was fantastic. Yeah. This was literally our best year yet, and I, you really need to be there next time. So um, you've got 11 months to meet someone, <laughs> propose, get married, go on your honeymoon, and come back before next September. That is, any person that's truly motivated can make that happen in half the time. 
All right? Now, uh, so this is about seven years ago or so. We were on our way to our, our retreat. We were on our way to Naples, and um, we had a babysitting issue, and so we had to take the kids with us. And so uh, we're driving to Naples. We're on Alligator Alley, and I didn't even realize it, but I was going about 90 miles an hour. And even though all I kept thinking was, man, I'm making such good time. And um, because that's basically, because men turn everything into a competition, once you plug in the number on the GPS, you're like, can I beat that time, right? That's, that's what we do. Oh, someone test, someone's testifying back there. All right, very good. Very good. We'll take a road trip. So anyway, so, <laughs> so what happens is I'm just, I'm going for it and uh, the lights turn on and I'm like, oh, oh no, I'm going this fast. Cop pulls me over. And by the way, as far as cops go, nicest cop that's ever given me a ticket. And, um, and so, and I've met a few. And so, and so anyway, we're having a conversation. He gives me a $250 ticket, which that hurt me down to my core. And, um, but he said, listen, and, but he was telling me, he was, he was, you know what he was doing? Just trying to encourage me. And he's like, listen, Mr. Frank was, um, you can't go that fast. You can't go that fast. You can't put your family at risk. And I know you'd never want to do anything that could potentially harm your wife and your children. And I was like, yes, I agree. You know, I'm like, he's, I'm like, I'm, I'm amening him and, and, and from the driver's seat. And, um, and so anyway, so he, he leaves and I go to get back on the road. And my daughter, Mia, that's around seven at the time. She says, dad, you need to slow down and drive the speed limit. And my wife is like, could you please leave your dad alone, cut him some slack? And Mia's like, didn't you hear the cop? I'm the victim here. And, uh, and so, wait till she starts driving. And so, anyway, but you know what, you know what happens when you come face to face with the law? It changes you, doesn't it? Like you get a ticket and then like, you don't speed away from the cop after he gives you a ticket. Oh no. You're in like the, you know, the breakdown lane. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to go. You turn on the, you turn on the car signal. You're right. You're like, oh, then you move over. And then. You know, you're driving, hands at the 10 and 2 position, right? You turn off the radio, put your phone away. No talking! Trying to do something here, right? right. Why? Because the pain of coming face-to-face with the law and the reality of what you needed to do but didn't do changed you. What Paul does, this list of things, uh, this list of sins that he does, this isn't all at random, what he does is, when you realize that, if you take a moment to study it, you start realizing Paul is using this. This is the Ten Commandments in the negative. He's using the backdrop of the Ten Commandments and showing us this is what happens. The law is for the person who isn't keeping it. And so what he does is, is that he says the law is for what? Um, the ungodly or the unholy and profane. That is, people who break commandments number, number, number one through four. Have no other gods before me. Uh, no idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and uh, honor the Sabbath. He says, murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. Why does he say that? Because that is the opposite of honoring your parents. He talks about manslayers. That's commandment number six, not, not murdering. He talks about um, fornicators, uh, which is sex outside of marriage. He talks about sodomy, homosexual sex. That's listed in not committing adultery, and that is honoring the Bible's sexual ethic. He talks about lying and perjury, which are references to commandment number nine. And then he says, and anything else that's contrary to sound teaching. And then he says, you know, according to the glorious gospel. Now, just so you don't think I'm going to skip over the hard stuff, let me go back to the thing that you're still thinking about. 
um, when he talks about fornication and homosexuality that Paul lists as sins. Let me just tell you what the Bible teaches um, and sometimes maybe why we, we have an issue with it. The Bible lists any sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman as sin. That doesn't mean that God hates anyone, just the opposite. God loves you no matter what you've done. But God doesn't necessarily approve of everything that everybody does. The challenge that we have, and once again, this is our issue. The challenge that we have is that Christians, especially here in America, we have kind of winked at God's commands about sexuality, marriage, divorce. And then when it comes to homosexuality, we're like, this is where we got to put our foot down. We got to be biblically sound. The problem is this. No one believes us anymore. We've gotten divorced like the unbelieving world. We've had sex outside of marriage like the unbelieving world. We've lived together before marriage like the unbelieving world. We've had adulterous affairs like the unbelieving world to the point where the church has lost its voice. That's the hard truth that we have to deal with. The only way that we can speak to our culture about a proper sexual ethic is about getting our own house in order and modeling it as the church. So once again, when we talk about homosexuality, is it a sin? Yes. There's no way you can navigate the New Testament passages on the topic otherwise. And I know sometimes people want to make it that it actually means something else. It doesn't. And by the way, um, one of the arguments that people make is, well, this, the, this cult, the culture didn't really understand homosexuality the way that we do. Listen, an argument could be made that they understood it better than we have understood it. 14 of the 15 Roman Caesars were openly homosexual. The philosopher Socrates and most likely Plato were both homosexuals. Now, let me just say two things before we move on. And that is this. We don't hate gay people, and it, nothing makes me crazier than these people that hold up signs about who God hates. You want to know what God hates? Uh, Proverbs chapter 6 will tell you what God hates. God hates people who divide other people. People who shed innocent blood. You read all that. People who are proud. God hates that. But listen, we're simply talking about God doesn't hate um, people who are gay. We simply believe that we believe in a different sexual ethic as Christians. And to say disagreement means, well, that means you hate LGBT people. No, that's a weak argument. No, we don't hate anybody. We don't hate adulterers or anybody else that's, that's on the list. According to the Bible... Homosexuality, like any other sin, is less than God's best for you. And by the way, God calls all sexual activity outside of marriage sin. And if you're upset with that, your problem is not with me. In the kingdom of God, listen, I'm in sales, not management. So, <laughs> FYI on that. Some of you are like, you're just going to get that on the way home. So, but listen, every human being is a sinner. Every single one of us, we're all broken. We all struggle with different things. And by the way, um, it's, it's hard to encapsulate all this, and I'm like way over time as it is. But the problem is that if you read the next, and we're going to spend our next message, finishing chapter one, focusing on this, where Paul has listed all these sins, and then Paul's going to list his own. And then he's going to say this, that out of every possible person on this planet, he's the worst. Paul's going to say, I am the chief of sinners because according to him he's like I did the worst possible thing you could do all these other things pale in comparison to what I did I persecuted Christians I beat Christians I imprisoned Christians I killed Christians because I was so zealous for my faith and my hatred of Christianity 
And he carried that with him. You see, and why would he say that? After listening all this, to prove the point that grace, that God's grace is available to everyone. That when you think you've gone too far, and listen, all of us would, would have, if we knew Paul back then, we'd be like, listen, this is the guy voted most unlikely to convert to Christianity was this guy. He hated Christians. But maybe the people that we think are too far are the people that God is just getting started on. And maybe that's where you are today. You're in the place where you wish things were different. You wish you had made different choices. You wish things had turned out differently. Listen, what you needed and what you need right now is the same thing. Someone in your corner who will stand with you when you need it most. Um, I was having this conversation a while back with my stepbrother. Um, he lives in Los Angeles, but he was visiting and he and I said to him, I said, hey, do you remember Russell and his older brother, Eddie? He's like, oh yeah, they lived a block away from us in uh, Brockton, Massachusetts. And I said, yeah. And I said, I don't know if you know this, but Eddie used to kind of bully me when I was in like third, fourth grade. And, um, and even his younger brother, Russell, would harass me knowing that if I did anything, that Eddie would show up and just pulverize me. And, but I said this, and, and I said, you, you didn't realize this, but when your dad married my mom and you came to live with us um, Eddie tried to mess with me one day and you got in between us and you told him that's not the way things work anymore and he left me alone um, simply because and I didn't have to be afraid anymore because there was someone who was willing to fight for me Can I, I just want to tell you something that when you give your life to Jesus Jesus is the one who wants to stand with you. He's the one who wants to fight the battles you can't fight alone. That he wants to forgive you and transform you and do the thing that you've been trying to do so long, and that is take the regrets of the past and the shame of the past and the poor decisions of the past and actually put them in the past and move on. Listen, what I want you to know is that God is for you. He's for you. And he wants to transform your life. And all it takes is for you to decide that you want to let him transform your life. So I'm going to invite all of us to stand, if you would. And listen, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life. And he died this horrific death. And then he rose again so that we could be forgiven and transformed and changed. And if Jesus rose, then maybe it's our time to rise as well. Our time to rise above the past, rise above our failures, rise above our pain, rise above our guilt, above our fear, above our doubt. It's time to rise up from who we used to be and enter into who God has created us to be. I truly believe that this can be your moment And that he can take your life and transform it. And you know what the beauty of that is? Where that begins? It begins in this wonderful thing called forgiveness. Where God is going to forgive you of everything. And I want you to think about what that would mean to be forgiven of everything. That you don't have to carry around this weight of what could have been and what should have been. What would have been said. And I just, I didn't realize. And man, but that, that was, no, no, no. All of that forgiven that that 
alone could change the trajectory of our lives. That we could actually walk out today and circle the date on the calendar, September 19th. This was the day that everything began to change. And it all began with a decision. And the decision was, I'm going to stop fighting. I'm going to stop fighting with God. I'm going to stop doing my own thing. And instead of fighting with Him, I want to partner with Him so God can fight with me and for me. And that He could transform my life and your life. So here's what I want to do before we close. I said, I want to invite you. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to leave this place different than I came in. I want Jesus to come into my life and transform my life. This has to be where it changes because I can't continue the way that it's been. And so the band is going to begin to play in a moment. And as they do, I want you to meet me here at the base of the stage. And we're going to pray for you. And we're going to call out to God together. And this is going to be the day that everything begins to change. So if you're ready, then this is your moment. You walk up and you meet me here. Pastor George, lead us. listen, I'm going to pray for these that have come forward, but and we're not going to do a whole big chorus again and all that, but if here's what I know, is there's a few people who are standing in front of their chair saying I should have been there. I, this should have been my moment. I should have gone up as well. And you're going to drive home. You're going to drive home with one more regret. And listen, I don't want you to drive home with that one more regret to pile on to the others that maybe this moment can be the moment that changes everything. I mean, let's be honest. What do you have to lose? Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. But if something changes, then everything changes. What if everything that you've been seeking for God to do in your life is waiting for you right here? Yeah, come on up. We're going to wait for you. So if you need to come up, I want you to come up right now. Come up right now. Come on, bro. We're going to wait for you. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on. God bless you guys. You know, for 21 years, our mission as a church has been so simple. We just want to help people take their next step with God. And this is the first step. The first of many wonderful steps that you're going to take with him. But this is the big step. Where you just say, God, I'm going to stop fighting with you. 
fighting against you and now you're going to fight alongside of me. Sometimes you're going to go before me and fight the battles that I never could. God wants to do that great work in your life. So church, let's pray for these that have come forward. Lord, I want to thank you for every person that's come forward because God, they're seeking you right now. And Lord, I just pray that you would hear from heaven, that you would answer and that you would transform these lives, that you would forgive them and that you would do the work that only you can do by your grace. We thank you so much for that, that we can call on you because you love us, because your son did the unthinkable and stood in our place and died for us. So God, as they call out to you, I pray that you would hear, that you would answer, that you would act. Those of you that have come forward, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. They might be my words, but I pray that they would represent your heart in this moment. But I want you to pray it out loud. We're all going to pray it out loud together. Just say, Dear God, I come to you today and I ask that you forgive me of all I've done wrong. I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to walk with you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.